you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 21. We'll be reading uh, verses 1 through um, 14 this morning. Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. If you would please stand with me as we read. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Cos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. We returned to the ship at the end of the week. The entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemaeus, where we stayed and greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares... So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he said, While this weeping, you are breaking my heart. I am, not re I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Father God, take your word now. Use it in our hearts and lives to do and to accomplish what only you can do and accomplish. Whatever your will is, may, may it be done uh, as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we see Paul, he's making, he's still on this journey back to Jerusalem. We started talking about this journey about three weeks ago, and he's made some stops along the way, and last week, or last couple of weeks, we talked about that, that meeting he had with the Ephesian elders. He didn't meet with them in Ephesus, he called them down to meet him, but all these elders he talked to, and he said, this is the last time I'm ever going to see you, I got some really important stuff to say. And then he headed on his journey. And so we pick up today and we see that Paul, he goes and, and he gets on a ship. He goes to an island, goes to another place, goes to another place. He's, he's going to little cities. He's boarding ships and, and changing ships. And he's just still on his way back around. Remember, he started uh, over in Greece and he's made his way around Turkey. And he's, he's heading through the Mediterranean on his way back to Jerusalem. And so uh, it, it tells us there that they stopped um, in Syria. They found some local believers. They stayed there a week. Uh, they they kind of went on. And, 
And there's a really touching picture there of, uh, of the believers. Uh, after they tell him about, they warn him, don't go to Jerusalem. We'll come back to that in a minute. But there's a really touching picture where they follow him back to the beach, back to where the ship is docked. And it says the whole church, not, not just the other men folk, but the women and children, everybody comes out and they surround Paul uh, on the beach and they all kneel down together and pray uh, for him as, God's, as he goes forward and does God's mission. And so it's just really an amazing, touching scene there. And then he goes, he leaves, he leaves Tyre uh, where they had stopped and, um, and, and they meet some, some folks, some more believers, and they stay there a day. And then they go down to Caesarea where they meet uh, Philip the Evangelist. Now, if you think way back to when we were uh, early on in the book of Acts, remember there were seven men chosen full of faith in the Holy Spirit when this whole big uh, controversy had come up in the church over some of the widows getting taken care of and some of them weren't getting taken care of. And the apostles say, we're going to pick, we want you to pick seven men that are full of faith in the Holy Spirit and they're going to take care of this issue. And, and some people say that those were like maybe the earliest deacons or something like that. But they really, uh, it never says that exactly. It goes far beyond that. And we, we remember Philip, he went and he preached in Samaria. And, and God did amazing things through Philip uh, spreading the gospel. But we haven't heard anything out of him since way back much earlier in Acts. Because Luke has been focused uh, on, on the uh, Apostle Paul and his journeys. But Paul stops here, and he meets up with Philip the Evangelist. And it's very interesting. The Bible notes uh, that he has four unmarried daughters uh, who are prophetesses. And so it's, uh, it's really a fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jeremiah, and then it's repeated in the early parts of Acts when the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll pour out his Spirit on both sons and daughters, and they will prophesy and so in the kingdom of God, in the New Testament age that we live in, God's spirit is free to work and move and touch whoever, whether it be man or woman. And in this case, Philip's got these four daughters, unmarried daughters, so it probably means they were grown women old enough to be married, but not yet married, and all of them um, spoke and prophesied. And Luke points this out. Luke, by the way, always really emphasizes the ministry of of women and brings out the fact that God is working both through men and women to spread his gospel. So they stay there, and um, there, another uh, prof, uh, prophet comes along, and he makes a prophecy. His name is Agabus, and we've actually seen him before. He was a recognized prophet in the early church, and in Acts, uh, I think it's around chapter 11, he had made another prophecy back then about a famine that was coming. And, and so we see him again, this prophet Agabus. He comes and he, and he tells this prophecy. He takes Paul's belt and he pulls it off and he starts wrapping it around. Basically, he hogties himself. I'm thinking he had to use his teeth at the end, you know, to, to make the knot. He, he bounds up his hands and his feet all together. And he says, this same thing's going to happen to the one who owns this belt. And he prophesies that, that persecution is coming, that imprisonment is coming if Paul continues toward Jerusalem. And so just like this, so the earlier believers had heard about that and they didn't want Paul to go, 
this group of believers, I mean, they're all in tears. They're all saying, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. And, and, and they're just ganging up on him almost. Don't go to Jerusalem. And, and Paul finally says, you're killing me. You're breaking my heart here telling me this, but I know I've got to go. And, and when they see they're not going to convince him, the Bible says uh, that they say, okay, the Lord's will be done. We, we've tried to change your heart. We've tried to keep you from going that direction. You know, whatever God wants, that's what we want. So what do we take from this passage? What do we see? I think the, the first thing that stands out is the struggle that we have at times uh, to discern the Lord's will in our life. All of us who are believers have asked at, at times, God, what do you want? Uh, how, where do you want to lead me? What do you want uh, me to do? And in particular, what do we do when we feel very strongly that God has called us and put us in a certain direction, and yet others around us do not agree with that direction, and, and, and they, don't, uh, they don't think we should go in that way? How do we handle that? As believers, I think back to, to earlier in Acts where Paul had already said, he says, The Holy Spirit has warned me in every city that imprisonment is coming, that persecution is coming, that hard times are coming in Jerusalem. And yet he knew that that is where God had called him to be. I think when, as a Christian, when we have other Christians that we value and we respect and we trust, when they try to warn us off a certain path, we should certainly listen and think about that. Uh, we should take in what they say. We should be open-minded and, and, and not stubborn. But there is a point where you and I, when we know that God has spoken to us clearly, we know, we know that it's not something that's against his word. We know that he's told us something that we need to be obedient about. And we know that very clearly, that he's spoken. At that point, you and I have to choose to obey God rather than man. I think what happens in this situation is this. Paul knew that persecution was coming. All these other believers, they were getting a word from the Lord that persecution was coming. But what they said is persecution's coming in Jerusalem. Therefore, God must want Paul to not go to Jerusalem. We got to warn him. We got to tell him, don't go to Jerusalem because bad things are going to happen there. And they tried as hard as they could and said, Paul, don't go that direction. Whereas Paul said, yeah, God has told me persecution hardship, heartache, it's all coming in this direction. And yet I know that this is where God has sent me. There will be times in your life that God calls you into situations that are not easy situations, they're not fun situations, and yet God is calling you because he has something that he wants to teach you, some way that he wants to use you for his kingdom's sake. And in those situations, not because you're being reckless and stubborn and ignoring everyone else or think you're better than the whole world, you shouldn't do any of those things, 
But sometimes you go into a situation and you know this is where God's called me and you've got to go regardless of what all the other people around have told you. I believe I've shared with this congregation before a statement that stuck with me. I heard it when I was in seminary. There was a guest speaker in chapel, and I heard this statement, and I've never forgotten it. The speaker there was talking about missions. And he said, you know what keeps people from missions? You know why we don't have enough missionaries to reach this world? He said, how many of you think that it's funding? And people thought, oh, it's funding. We don't have enough money. I said, nope, that's not it. How many of you think it's people who just aren't committed enough? A lot of people said, yeah, that's it. People aren't committed enough. Nope, that's not it. And he listed several things. And he said the number one thing that keeps people from the mission field is grandparents. Grandparents keep people from the mission field. I said, what? Grandparents? He said, oh, yeah. He said, because here's this young couple, and God touches their heart and says, you're going to go serve me in Asia. You're going to go serve me in South America. You're going to go serve me in Canada, wherever it may be that God sends someone to the Middle East or wherever, and they're fired up, and they say, God, can you really be doing this? Yes, you're doing this. Yes, we want to do this, and they're so excited, and they go see mom and dad, and mom and dad say, oh, no, you're not. (laughs) You are not taking those babies away from us. You must have heard God wrong. That would be hard Could you do that to your kids? Could you do that to us, to your parents? How in the world could you go all the way around the world? How could you do that to us? He said, that's what prevents more missionaries from going on the field than anything else. And, and, you know, before when I heard that message, I was not yet a parent. And I thought, how dare those grandparents do that? How could they think that way? And then the older you get and you have kids and you start to think about maybe one day I might even have grandkids and and you begin to understand. For some of us, the greatest sacrifice that we can make in our Christian lives is not surrendering to God's will for our life, but surrendering to God's will for our family's life, for our friends' lives. When God calls them out and says, this is what your plan is. God, this is where you, where you, you know, God says, this is where I want you to be. For us to say, ooh, that scares me. I I don't like that. I, I wouldn't have planned that. But if God's in it, then I'm with you. That there are times in life when we'll be faced with friends or family members or coworkers who are not on that same page. They don't have that mature attitude that says, wherever God leads you, I'm praying for you and I'm with you. They're on that, no, 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 don't go. And when we're at that place, we have to say, God, I know you spoke and you spoke clearly and I'm going to follow you regardless of what everybody else says. When, we have to, uh, when we're looking to do God's will, when we know he's spoken clearly, we've got to follow him. So that's the first thing that I saw in this passage. But honestly, um, that's kind of short. That's not a whole, whole lot. And um, 
I know that y'all wouldn't be too mad at me if I dismissed right now, but I'll be honest, I, I studied this passage. I read it over and over, and uh, I read a bunch of commentaries on it. I keep about five or six very thick books, the stacks like this, of these books, these commentaries on them. See, I see what this scholar said and what that scholar said, and and I read and I prayed, and, and I just said, God, I, I'm just not seeing what's, what else is there. God, it's, it's just all so ordinary. He gets on a ship. He stops at this city. He gets off, talks to some people. He gets on the next ship. And, and God said, yeah, you finally got it, Tim. It's ordinary. It's ordinary. And that is what I needed to hear, and I believe that we all need to hear today. You see, when we get up in this book of Acts and we see a healing here and a shipwreck there and an imprisonment here and a miracle over there, I mean, we kind of get used to this. And Boy, this is exciting. This is, this is big. This is out of the ordinary. In fact, we even talked about a passage where it said unusual miracles, as if miracles were usual. There were even unusual miracles in the book of Acts. But the Lord spoke to me and said... This is important because it's ordinary stuff. A lot of you are probably like me, and except in some certain areas where you're really keyed in, something you're really into, your hobby, whether it be sports or whatever. But other than that, you might not notice a lot of details. But some of you have noticed that it's been a long time since this color and that color right down there on the communion table have changed. They've actually stayed the same uh, ever since June. Now, there's some months where that doesn't happen. In May, whoever the elder of the month in May is, they get a workout. That thing changes three times. You've got to lift up that glass plate. It's not easy to do. And there's a lot of color changing going on in May. And and some other months it might not change three times, but it changes twice. And, but if you've noticed, for the past three months or more, this has, changed, this has stayed the same every single Sunday. It's just been this regular old green. And there's a reason for that. You see, we have a liturgical calendar, a church calendar, that talks about the different periods in, time, in the church life. And there's going to be a time come at the end of uh, November where there's going to be a Christ the King Sunday, and then it's going to change colors. And then there's going to be Advent, where we prepare for, for a, uh, Christmas and the coming of the Lord. And, and so it's going to change colors for that. And there's going to be uh, some other different colors in between. There'll be Epiphany Sunday, and then we're going to get to Lent, and then the Easter, and then the Pentecost. And I've probably left out some of the little ones in between. But there's all these special times in the life of the church. But when you get past Pentecost all the way from the end of Pentecost until that Sunday before Advent starts, it's called ordinary time. Isn't that exciting? We're in ordinary time in our church. Ordinary time. But you know, the reality of Christian life is that it's lived in ordinary time. It means washing dishes. It means going to the grocery store. 
It means being a Christian at your 9 to 5 or your 6 to 2 or your third shift of the night at the plant or whatever else it is that you've got going on. If you're a student, it means doing your homework. It means going to ball practice. It means doing those chores mom and dad have given you to do. It means feeding your kids. It means cleaning your house, cutting your yard, coming to church, going through a Sunday school lesson, going to funerals, visiting friends at the hospital. It's all of the little ordinary things that we do, and we just think, well, this isn't spiritual stuff. I mean, boy, it was spiritual on Sunday morning. I heard that special. It was so good, and that was spiritual. That's what we think. But God says that he claims all of our lives, not just the mountaintops and the valleys, but all the times in between. God is not just Lord of the miracles and of the tragedies. God is Lord of the ordinary, everyday occurrences in our lives. When we get in a car and we go somewhere, when we sign a business deal, when we balance our checkbook, although that might be unordinary for some of us to keep up with, you know. But wherever we are in life, God is with us. And he desires for us to do everything we do, wherever we are, at work or at home or in the community, to live it for him, to do it for him. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. That is, everything we do, we keep in mind a continual conversation with Jesus. Wherever we are, we remember that Jesus is there with us, that the presence of God is with us wherever we go. And so when Paul goes to a little town and talks to some people for a day, and we'll never know the names of those people, that might have been ordinary, but it was significant. When he knelt at the beach, and a bunch of believers whose names we do not know, even little boys and girls, that might have felt ordinary, but yet it was significant. And so this morning, I want us to go out of this place thinking about the ordinary stuff in our life. Because usually we're challenged. That big sin you've got, surrender it, let go of it. That big thing God is calling you to do, say yes. And those things are important. But the routine, the ordinary stuff of life, is where God will do most of his work in your life. It's where his spirit should be working and bringing out the fruit of the spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the ordinary situations of life, when you're stuck in traffic or when you're in that dadgum line at Walmart, wherever you are, whether it's boring or hard, or frustrating, and perhaps God would normally be the furthest thing from your mind at that point. God is saying, hello, I'm there, and I want you to recognize that I'm there. And I want you to live as if I was there. 
because my spiritual call on your life is not a Sunday thing, it's a 24-7 thing. And all the ordinary, ordinarily, well, all the ordinary stuff of life, God is there with you. And he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be aware and working with his presence in your life. Would you bow with me this morning? Father God, we go through so much and... Like the song says, Lord, we're prone to wonder. God, we're so prone to wonder. We're prone uh, to leave you, Father. We, uh, our natural habitat seems to be to get distracted by the things of this world and to forget that, God, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, work or play or rest, God, in all of it, you are there. You are with us, and you want to work through us. You want to touch our lives and the lives of those around us. Yes, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, but, Father, most of all, in the ordinary, plain situations of life. God, you're there, and you seek to minister to us and to others. And I pray today that we be open to you, surrendered to you, so that we might do that. Father, bless this time now of invitation. God, as you have invited us, you've called us, you've said, come and see. You want to know me more? Come, follow me. See what it's like to be closer, to be deeper in a relationship with me. And Father, I pray today that the answer for all of us to that invitation would be yes, Lord. Yes, I want to come, I want to see, I want to be closer to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.